0: Over the last few Sundays, we have been immersing ourselves in a new series of Sunday morning studies entitled Pumpkins, Parables, and Thanksgiving, and the title, of course, speaks for itself. And this morning, we're coming to Mark chapter 4, so if you have your Bible with you, would you turn to Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. Those who are joining us, both here in the United States and overseas on our live stream broadcast, a very warm welcome to you, and you would find it helpful, whether you're live streaming or watching on Fox Carolina broadcast, to have your Bible open at Mark chapter 4. And we have this well-known passage, the parable of the sower. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up grew and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even a 100 times. Then Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop thirty, sixty, or even a hundred times that which was sown. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading. From his holy word. Now, if you worship with us regularly on a Sunday morning, and a special welcome, of course, to the Barreto family this morning, it's delight to have you with us celebrating a baptism. And on Sunday morning, whenever we come to a new passage of scripture, we always take a moment or two to set it in its context so you know who's writing, to whom, why, and what is the context. And If you were to describe Mark's gospel, you would know that Mark is a little different from John, who's a little different from Luke, who's a little different from Matthew. And Donald English, a well-known New Testament scholar, in summing up Mark's gospel, writes these words. He says, Mark portrays Christ as an active, energetic, swiftly moving, warring, conquering king, a victor over the destructive forces of nature, demons, and death. Donald English is absolutely right. And let me show you what I mean. If you can keep one finger in Mark chapter 4 and flick back to the opening chapter of Mark's gospel and give a quick overview just visually with your eye, what you're going to see there is this. There are seven major events in Mark chapter 1, beginning with John the Baptist prepares the way at verse 1, then verse 9, the baptism and temptation of Jesus, then verse 14, the calling of the first disciples, then Jesus drives out an evil spirit in verse 21, then Jesus heals many, verse 29, and then verse 35, Jesus prays in a solitary place. And Mark takes what Matthew and Luke take, four entire chapters, and Mark squeezes it all into chapter one. And so when English says Mark portrays Christ as an active, energetic, swiftly moving, warring, conquering king, he gets it absolutely right. And that's how Mark reads. It quickly moves from one event to another to another. It's almost breathtaking, and you can't wait to see what is coming next. If you were writing a review in the New York Times bestseller pages, you would probably say something like this, Mark is entirely unputdownable, because that's exactly what it is. It moves so quickly, it's so engaging, it captivates the heart except when you come to chapter 4. Because in chapter 4, it's almost as if Mark is putting his foot on the brakes and slowing everything down. And he does it by highlighting, and notice the same, visually cast your eye over Mark chapter 4, Mark does it through a series of parables. The first is the parable of the sower. Then he uses parabolic language, a lamp on a stand. Then the parable of the growing seed. And finally, the parable of the mustard seed. Three times in verses 1 and 2, Mark uses the word taught, teach, teaching. And in verse 3, it begins with Jesus teaching the parable by saying, listen. Now, why is that important? It's important for this reason. Now, husbands, let me speak to you for about 10 seconds, and this is important. And if you're a husband, there has probably been some time when you have been distracted watching television, you've been on your phone, you're checking emails or texts, and your wife says to you, are you listening to me? And you say, yeah, 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 sure. And you're not. And then comes the magic words, we need to talk. Then you put your phone down, then you pay attention, because you're not on earth sure of what's coming. And that's a little like Mark chapter 4, when Jesus opens, and you'll see it, the translation into English has an exclamation mark after it, Jesus is saying, we need to talk listen. He's about to teach at a level that they haven't heard before, and he's about to take them into the deep things of God. Now, I think for most of us, we are reasonably familiar with what happens in the teaching process. Back in August, when their children went back to school, grandchildren's, great-grands, and I would have conversation with children in and around the church, especially those who are eight or nine, and I would say to them, are you enjoying being back at school? And I would get these spectacular big smiles and a nod. And then I would say, are you making new friends and in a new class? And the little heads would go up and down with a big smile. And then I ask the question, everyone's asking children when they go back, do you have a new teacher? And then the smile gets wider again and a big nod. And then I say to mom and dad, does he like his new teacher? Is she enjoying the new teacher? And mom and dad say, she loves a new teacher. She is the coolest teacher. And that's the words you want to hear, isn't it? The coolest teacher. And I think most of us know that when we went through school and we had a teacher who captivated our imagination, instilled within us a desire for learning and knowledge, and a thirst to grow mentally and emotionally, we remember that teacher's name because that teacher had such an impact on us. Especially the cool teachers. Now, I may have mentioned this back in August, so please bear with me. And this is the kind of thing a cool teacher would do. What do you call a hen that counts eggs? I'm math, I'm a chicken. Of course, that's the kind of thing that a cool teacher would do, isn't it? Because it's the kind of thing that would capture a child's imagination. It's funny, it's engaging, it's cool you would remember that teacher's name. The chances are the children would bring in jokes for the next two or three days to share with the teacher. There's engagement, there's interaction, and of course it's a relational dynamic that the teacher builds on in order to teach. Now, in the first three chapters of Mark's gospel… Jesus is moving, as we said earlier, from one event to another to another. Healings had taken place. Exorcisms had taken place. Large crowds in their hundreds were turning up to hear Jesus teach. Why? Because he taught in ways that was absolutely impactful, compelling, and life-transforming He never taught at a level that was in any way esoteric or merely academic. He he talked about real issues that impacted real lives and brought them into a relationship with the living God. In fact, in Mark chapter 1, we read these words. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. It wasn't theory. It was real. It wasn't shallow. It was authentic and credible, and it transformed lives. The last couple of weeks as we've been engaging with parables, I've tried to give you a working definition of a parable, and a reasonable definition of a parable is this, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And as Jesus tells the story of the sower, he is describing different conditions of the human heart. And when he describes the soil on the path as being hard... What he is describing is this, that between strips of fertile land, and you can still see it today if you are in Capernaum where this took place, the Sea of Galilee, 60 miles north of Jerusalem, was a fishing community and a farming community, and farmers would split the fields into strips. And in between every third or fourth strip, there would be a path where the farmer could walk. He would move animals back and forward with uh, protecting his livestock. He and farm workers would use it. And over the period, that soil would become more and more and more dense and complex. and the soil could grow nothing. It was hard. It was unyielding. It was unresponsive. And as the farmer was sowing seeds, some of it would fall on that tough ground, the path, and the birds would come and eat it. And that's the human heart who has been exposed to the love and grace of God, but has become hard cynical, skeptical, unyielding, far from the things of God. And the second description involves soil that is what? That is rocky or stony ground. And that in essence means this, that maybe three, four inches under the soil, there would be boulders and rocks and significant-sized stone. And if you've been in and around a farming community, you will know that from time to time, when a farmer is tilling or turning over or preparing the soil for sowing, they'll come across rocks, and usually they take them and put them to one side. Now, growing up in Scotland, I was never far from a farming community, and so I would drive out into the countryside. There would be long brick walls where farmers have turned up stone and rock, put them to one side and then built a wall to protect their farmland or protect their livestock. Plenty of rocks. And the description here is this, that the soil above the rock is two, three inches in terms of its depth. It is shallow. And when the seed falls in there, it is well received. It begins to grow. Roots appear and try to go down. But when the pressures and difficulties and circumstance of life begins to crowd in, the sun comes out, the pressure's on, and the heat withers, this small plant, it eventually dies, blighted, and is blown away. And that's the heart that gives up maybe the heart that worships from time to time at church on Sunday morning, maybe is sympathetic to the gospel, enjoys coming to church, agrees in principle. But when the individual involved is challenged to live out their faith, take a stand on biblical, moral, and spiritual values, refusing to compromise with culture and society around. Life becomes more about convenience than commitment, and thank you all the same, I'll just leave it there. That's the picture that's emerging here. And the third, of course, is the image of the seeds going into the soil, but the thorns around it begin to smother and strangle And choke what God is doing in that individual's life. And the thorns painted here are like worries and cares and concerns of daily living. They're the challenges and difficulties that come our way, and once again, we find ourselves more focused on the challenges and difficulties and the anxieties and the problems rather than on the grace of God itself. And as Jesus paints that picture, he then gets alone with the disciples, and notice what happened at verse 13. And then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? And the farmer sows the word, And some people like seed along the path where the word is sown, and as soon as they hear it, Satan comes, takes away from them what was sown. And others like seed on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, it only lasts a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. And here is the climax in verse 18. And still others, like seeds sown among the thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Now, you may be listening this morning and saying, okay, Richard, I hear what you're saying, and I think I understand what you're saying, but the The parable doesn't finish with the thorns choking off a person's faith or desire to grow in their faith. In fact, the parable finishes with the good soil and the seed taking root. And, Richard, my question is this how does it take root? Now, I understand the thorns. I understand the stony ground. I understand the path. But help me understand the good soil. Help me understand why that grew and the others didn't. Well, may I suggest this? And let me, in some ways, paint a modern analogy. And it's this, that if over the last five or six weeks or so, you have found yourself so busy. Life is so demanding, raising kids, seeking promotion at work, moving home, however you've been spending those weeks, and your faith has somehow continuously knocked to the margins of your life, and prayer is no longer where it should be. You're not spending time with Him in the pages of His Word. You don't have a thirst and a desire and a longing to know Him more. And life has simply been too busy. May I suggest this? And here is the challenge, and I put myself right in there. It's this. And over the next two weeks, we're about to celebrate Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, I would have to tell you, is one of my favorite holidays. It is a special time. My Scottish blood rejoices in the fact I don't have to buy multiple gifts and go and visit people and give gifts out, and so it's a pretty quiet holiday to some extent. And during Thanksgiving, my hope and prayer for each one of us is this, that we are able to slow down a little that we are able intentionally to carve time out of busy lives, lives which have a mild addiction to living in a digital playground where we spend more time on our cell phones than we do in prayer. And over this Thanksgiving period, let's slow down. Let's intentionally make time for him. Give him quality time during the day. And don't be surprised if those roots begin to grow. Don't be surprised if they go deeper and deeper and wider and wider. Don't be surprised if you grow in your faith. Don't be surprised if he begins to unclutter the busyness of your life and your soul. Don't be surprised if in those sacred moments He retunes and recalibrates your deepest affections and takes you to the place where you can't wait to spend time with Him. That place where you are willing and determined by His enabling grace and strength to tackle the thorns in your life, to get rid of the mess, to clean up your inner life, your thought process, your behavior pattern, your relationship with family, friends, loved ones, and you begin to cut down those thorns, throw them out, get rid of them. Then you begin to see growth at 30 times and 60 times and 90 times. And I think I can hear some of you saying, go on, say it, Richard, I know what you're like, you're longing to say it, just say it. Well, here it comes. That's the kind of genuine, heartfelt growth that even a math chicken can see. That's how real faith grows. Spending time with him, getting rid of the thorns, and drawing close to him in that intimate way. And that's when you delight to hear him say, we need to talk. And it's a joy. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love and grace towards us this morning. Thank you for all that we've learned in this passage of Scripture. Help us, please, this week to intentionally cut back the things that distract our lives, the things that demand our attention, the thorns that preoccupy us, and allow us, please, to spend time with you, the living God. Father, thank you for your grace and your goodness to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.